Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Zero to 10 podcast, where we're focused on helping bootstrapped entrepreneurs and business owners grow their businesses to $10 million in revenue. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Today, I welcome Carl Becker to the podcast as we continue to focus on growth in 2022. Carl has over two decades of experience in sales and marketing, working with small and medium-sized businesses. He is the CEO and founder of Improving Sales Performance and the author of Set Up to Win, Three Frameworks to a High-Performing Sales Organization. I can't believe it's taken me over two years to get Carl on the podcast, but good things come to those who wait. And I really think this is a great way to help you jumpstart the year. He shares what's working and not working and how to set up your company to accelerate revenue growth. I know the title, he talks about a little bit, a lot about sales, but it really is a revenue equation and how you can set up your organization to, to maximize that revenue growth. It's a great conversation and make sure you listen as Carl also has a number of freebies as well, including a, an e-copy of his, his, his book. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation and please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or hit the follow button on Spotify and share it with other business owners or would-be business owners you think would get value out of these conversations. We really do appreciate it. Now, let's get the interview started. Hey, good morning, Carl. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning. It's right before Christmas, so I thought I would dress as Carl Claus for you today. I love it. What a perfect way. I, I, you know, I wanted to have you on the podcast to help us kick off 2022. So we've got to record this at the tail end of 2021. So I think it's a perfect segue for our, our listeners. So again, well, I can't believe we've known each other for so long, and this is the first time I've actually had you on the podcast. So I know we're just busy guys. You are a busy guy. And so I appreciate you taking some time. That's why I had to catch you before the holiday to get you onto the program. So anyway, it's worth the wait. Good things come to those who wait, right? To help kick us off, we have a number of topics I want to get into today, but maybe share with the audience a little bit about your background and what you're working on today, and we'll be off and running. Yeah, I guess real high level, if any of you listening have kind of been frustrated with your sales team, your sales organization, or even how marketing and sales plays together, that's where I live. I live in kind of this intersection of, hey, we're growing, some things are working, but how do we really keep going and how do we make sure we have a high performing sales team? And I'd even say sales and marketing. I, I always say sales team because my DNA is from being in business development and sales. I've been an entrepreneur. I've run my own company ever since I was like 14, pushing a lawnmower down the road. But the point is, to me, we're always talking about sales and marketing as an integrated thing. So a lot of times I'll say sales, but the aha moments most people have when they start to talk with me is I'm tired of banging my head against the wall. I've hired a competitor's salesperson and made him the sales manager. And why the heck isn't this working? I've hired a new SEO or social media firm. What are, why can't anybody convert these leads? What's really going on here? Things like that. Typically, people give me a call because they're just like, I'm frustrated. I know there's something broken. I know where I want to go. I just don't know how to get there. And that's why I'm such a fundamentals foundation guy. Like typically, there's something we need to go back and fix or revisit and tweak if we want to go forward with efficiency. So that's what I do. And I work with companies in the B2B space all the way from like a, maybe a funded startup that's that's had you know proof of concept mvp they're starting to grow and i know those two things are very different but they're starting to grow they're starting to get some revenue and they need to figure out the next jump to just your typical b2b kind of like blue collar b2b and everything in between but typically there are companies a million or two on the low end in revenue 
could be 50 million plus, but my sweet spot's usually two to 5 million and then another cluster around 10. And uh, teams typically have two to eight sales marketing people on their team, but I come in and uh, really kind of help them move it forward and, and build a sales organization that the teams love, the individuals love, the ownership isn't as stressed out anymore. That's what I do. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And it's perfect for this audience as we, we focus mostly with bootstrap B2B business owners, right? And entrepreneurs that are looking to get to that 10 million in revenue. So yeah, as I always say, growth within that space is super nuanced. You, to your point, you just can't hire a, a salesperson or a sales leader and say, yep, abracadabra, we're going to we're gonna grow. So I wish we could. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. <laughs> just one hire would make your whole life if there was just one thing. I found that is not one thing. It's a lot of different things all lined up together. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And we wouldn't be here having this conversation if it was if it was that easy, right? I mean, to your point, if it was, it'd be perfect. But and you know, I, I'm I've been going back and forth. If I think I'm convinced now that now is the greatest time to start a B two B business or grow to a B two B business because it the playing fields have been leveled with digital and all the other areas. But it's still super nuanced, right? You, there's a bunch of different things, and I know we have a kind of a similar philosophy on some of the go to market and that, but. Before start, I'd love to get your perspective. You've been doing this a long time. Maybe some of the changes that you've seen maybe in the last two years or maybe just yeah. post-pandemic, how companies are being able to grow where they weren't being able to do that before. So just curious if you can kick us off, man, what's what's changed? Yeah, um, I don't know how much of what I'm about to say is my own self-awareness of the importance of team. So I would answer the first question being, I think, there's a group of business leaders out there. I think it also comes from this millennial generation starting to do more and more of like building their companies, being entrepreneurs, but also starting to be in management. And in my philosophy, when I've seen high-performing teams that are built with millennials, they already grew up doing teamwork. Like if I think about my kids that are teenagers, how do they do their assignments? They're a team. They're like this pod of people working. And I'm almost 50 years old. I didn't have that when I was in high school or college. And even when I got my MBA, we would work as teams, but it felt more forced or prescribed. Here, it's like, it's the natural state. So I think what's been happening is an awakening in the, in the business space that team is really important. And you can unlock a lot more power and a lot more leverage if you know how to team, if you know how to bring people together. And that means leadership. And that also means the ability to, to be present and listen and understand that there's a lot of different brains in this room and they have experiences that they can bring. And some of that's my own awakening. When I was running companies with my teams, I was frustrated. I was like, why can't the team work? Like, ah, and I bring in consultants and we learn and certainly I would see lift, but I had to reprogram myself. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. So that kind of means I'm the guy that's usually doing everything. I'm like a full stack entrepreneur. Uh, right. So for me, the big thing that I'm seeing is there are more people that are willing to come to the table saying, you know what? I don't know everything and I've got this great team and, or maybe they don't realize they have a great team. I have a team and I've heard that if I can unlock them, some good things can happen. That's probably one of the biggest things. And the last part that the icing on that cake is I think when we became distributed through COVID and we had to be more remote as a leader, you couldn't get away with the sloppy meeting. Yeah. You, you couldn't just be in front of the whiteboard and talking at people because cameras go off. People can't hold their attention. So to me, I think a lot of it is just we, we've had to cooperate and work together. And there was already kind of primed in the last two years that pushed through. And, and the other piece I would say, which is kind of the table stakes for me, is 
people are understanding how to use fully integrated tech platforms for their sales and marketing more and more. They're seeing that they're reading blogs they're hearing that they're hearing about sales and marketing alignment. They're kind of going, yeah, I need to revisit this. And from an economic pressure, they're seeing that and get a lot more ROI and de-risk what they're doing. If, if marketing and sales are one and they're working right. together versus siloed. So I think that's what I would say is the main things that I witnessed day to day. Yeah. I think it's super interesting. You talk about the the collaboration piece and, and I think you're right. If you think, I mean, cause I'm probably a little bit older than you, Right. The education system is all about individual. Right. You got to do your assignment on your own. You can't work with anybody else. It's all about you. But yet the way do we succeed is through team and collaboration. So I think you're right. There's a, definitely a shift and the high performing organizations have more of that. The other, the other kind of eye opener for me recently is, and we even talked about this is a, the book, Who Not How, and people listening yeah. to the podcast have heard me reference this. And it's, it's taking that approach of don't think about it as a delegation, but finding someone who does that role better than you and actually likes to do that, <laughs> it's going to be a much better win versus thinking about just delegating it as a sub meaningful task, right? It's not important. All of the, the tasks are important, but yeah, I think you're, I think you're onto something. If you're open, I'll tell you a quick yeah. real time story that just happened in the last couple of weeks. So a lot of my clients are using some sort of like EOS type operating system. They're getting more disciplined about how they run the company as an integrated team. So in this one example, I'm, I'm a fractional like VP director of sales at this organization, have been for two years. And I don't usually play that role, but there's kind of some special circumstances and it made sense. And I really fell in love with the team. And there's some great stories I'll tell you about that team. But real high level, we're preparing for this end of year EOS meeting and next, next year. And I'm just going, you know, no one is owning revenue. No one is thinking marketing, sales, even retention and growth and how are we optimizing that all the time. But we have these really great teams. We're growing. Everything's good. But I'm, I keep talking to my sales team and they're frustrated and they feel like almost like a victim. And, and what I mean by that is you're waiting for something to happen. And so if it doesn't yeah. happen, you feel like a victim. Oh, this didn't happen. It's marketing's fault. Right. And, and I, I just started getting really frustrated because I was like, we are better than this. We are better than waiting for someone to throw us the ball. And so I, I walked into this EOS meeting. I said, we need to reimagine my role. I want you to think of me as the VP of revenue, and I'm going to fix all of our problems through working sessions with teams. I'm not going to be an individual contributor that's doing this thing. I'm going to leverage everyone up. And everyone said, please go do that. And what's interesting is I went to the sales team and there's six people on it now. And I told them what I just told you. And, and the relief was like, we're not victims anymore, right? We're going to own this. We're going to make this happen. And I said, yeah. I said, this is what I need you to do. I need you to all to go in the shared document instead of individual documents, right? Share document and list all the things that you're really good at and what you wish you could do more of. And don't worry about compensation. If you feel like, oh, my role is not designed to compensate me that way because I get commissioned, I will fix that. So I came back and I've got two pages of each salesperson taking up about half the page. Like, I'm really good at coaching. I would like to coach people more. I would like to do webinars. I would like to this. I would like to figure out how we have more enablement tools. And so all of a sudden I've got this list of things that people want to do. And I've positioned myself as this kind of owner of cross-functional teams to make revenue happen. And now the deck's kind of stacked in my favor. I know who's going to do what because they've told me. Right. So really powerful stuff when you can unlock things like that. Yeah. It's so interesting. You said that I just had a session 
two weeks ago, wrapped up with a company in South Africa of all, all places, but it was the same thing. They were taking a team approach to business development. And then when you actually break down that not every role is having those discovery meetings and connecting with new and prospects, there's a lot of different roles that get played throughout the organization, all the way from, you know, referrals to retention and to the different pieces and trying to pigeonhole folks into a specific role isn't going to work for you, for them. And it's just, it's going to be lost time if you don't get it right. So I think that's a really, really powerful idea that I don't think that many people actually talk about. Totally. Is now a good time to kind of tell you the construct of how I, I see the world? Perfect. Perfect segue. I was leading okay. into it and said, hey, we're talking people teams, but let's go back. And yeah, you know, because I think, yeah, but I'll, I'll let you kind of introduce your your approach because I, I think it makes sense that there's certain things cool. you need to do first, right? Before. Well, you you inspired me when you started talking about teams and, and, and what we think someone should do versus what they tell us they're really good at. And that triggered me here. So first, I would Let's tell go. you, I do have a Christmas and New Year's gift for everyone. I have a book called Set Up to Win. And I am happy to provide. There we go. And my stickies in here, by the way, too, Carl. Before you yeah, that's the, that's the uh, extra extra edition that's like with Brett annotated high value places. <laughs> I, I can't give you that, but maybe Brett can. But exactly. for me, um, I'll, I'll get you the information. I'll give you a URL. You can put your contact information in and get the ebook. I think even if you read the first chapter and that's all you read, it's about understanding there's a lot of little things that all add up to create success. And there'll be some kind of fun stories that go, oh, maybe I'm going to take that with me. But uh, that's my gift to all of you for the new year. Skim it. Enjoy it. And there's another tool that I'm going to probably talk about here briefly called the Revenue Equation. And there's a website, revenueequation.com, that is going to give you insight in some of the things I'm going to talk about today. Uh, again, you're welcome to go there. I think it's a good exercise if you're a leader or you have a leadership team, just get on the same page of like where you are starting from right now, from fundamentals around selling. But uh, those are the two things I'll just kind of tell you our tools that might help you really align to what we're going to talk about. When people bring me in, like I said at the beginning, there's usually a problem, a challenge, a goal. There's something that's not right or they wouldn't have brought me in. And over, I don't know, 25 plus years of either running my own company or being a consultant in other ones. I came up with this concept of the revenue equation, which is really, hey, how strong and clear are you with the foundations of your company, your value, your differentiators, even what I call your customer experience promise? Like what, what is the promise you're going to give all of your customers? Because that's a great litmus test to say, am I making the right decision? Kind of like when people hire and fire to value, it's the same thing. How are we going to apply a construct to our business development and our client delivery systems that feels right every time. And to me, it's your customer experience promise. So the first concept of the revenue equation is just giving you a self-diagnostic of like the value you create, how you create it. The second is around audience. I'll tell you stories on each one of these over the next couple of minutes. And to me, it's more than just personas and what categories. It's what a lot of people call a buyer's journey or a buyer and seller's journey. But yeah. the idea is different people, people enter your funnel at different stages. And even before they enter their funnel, they are in a stage already. They're not just like, oh, wake up one day and go, oh, I need to buy a new car. Like there's other things that's happening to them before that. That is part of a buyer's journey. And, and if you're a marketer, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a salesperson, you've probably played around with different pieces of this. We'll talk about that too. And the third is really process. How do I understand the buyer's journey? How do I understand the experience I want someone to have and really, what are the steps to move someone from the top of the funnel all the way to the bottom? And who owns those? And how do we measure that? And wrapping all around this is team and individual. 
So for me, kind of in the world of what you queued up for me with team is I'll often go into an organization, they have a predetermined kind of construct or belief system of their salespeople. Why aren't they all the same? Why can't they all do this? How come Becky is struggling? And, and usually what I try to do, I say like, let's look at the fundamentals first because salespeople need to be set up to win. They need to be like ready to go, know the lane they're going to be in, the tools that they have. And a lot of times, if you don't have these foundations, they're struggling. And what you start to see are like symptoms, but you're like, ah, she's leaving early, right? Um, she doesn't make enough calls. Well, she doesn't make enough calls because she's just not confident in what you do and she doesn't know what to right. say. Or she's getting leads that aren't sales ready and you're expecting them to turn into revenue. And you're like, yeah, but they're leads. And she's like, they're not leads. They're not ready. And you're like, well, you just don't know how to sell. And round and round we go. So yep. what I try to do is take a step back and kind of look at those three different things and then wrap around all of it, team and individual. Yeah, no, I, th I think it's, it's such a good point. And buyer, I'm all about the buyer enablement piece, right? And getting these business owners to think differently. Don't go with, and the one thing I've been saying is get away from the conventional wisdom, right? You may have heard you need to do this with marketing. You need to do this with sales. It's the fundamentals are probably still there, but the way you align against the buyer, think about it from the buyer's journey and the activities they need to do, you kind of outlined that and the steps they have, then what are the best resources against those activities within the buyer's journey? And it's, it's absolutely, I don't say it's mind blowing to think about that differently, but it's not comfortable for people to think about it. Well, I got to have my sales process. Well, right. if your sales process doesn't align with the way they're buying, to your point, you're going to struggle or you're not communicating value, et cetera. So yeah, yeah. You're, you're definitely speaking my language for sure. <laughs> well, well, one of my favorite stories is I got brought into a live event company. So if you've ever been to a conference uh, or even a virtual conference these days, this is the team that would make the magic happen. How do you hear it? How do you see it? Is there a stage? How impressive is the speaker? What is that experience as an attendee? These guys curated. They're a live event company. So just kind of take a minute and imagine a conference you've been to. And was it bare bone and it was just a speaker and on a stage with some screens and some audio on kind of like metal poles, they call them sticks. Or was it like the Salesforce conference and there's thousands of people and there's a light show and drones flying through and it's crazy. Whatever you think of in your mind, I want you to imagine this. You walk in to a sales team and we're going to say there's four of them right now. And you simply ask each salesperson this question. What brand out there is like your brand? So like what big consumer brand? And so I asked the, this group this question and these are the answers I get. And this is a good example. If your value is not clear, you're not going to scale. You do not have a team that's all on the field playing even the same game sometimes. So here we go. I asked the first person, this woman that's been a veteran, been there forever. But what brand is like our brand? She goes, Costco. I'm like, okay, why Costco? We have everything you need at really great prices. Translation in my brain, we're selling on price. We're a commodity. Yeah. Okay, that might be who we are, but I don't know yet. So believe it or not, this is 100% true. The next guy asks, I go, what brand do you think we're like? And not even taking a, a minute to kind of think through it. He goes, Ritz-Carlton. It's like, okay, Costco's selling on price. <laughs> Ritz-Carlton is not inexpensive. Ritz-Carlton's yeah. about a curating experiences. So I ask him why. And he says just that. At Ritz-Carlton, they understand the experience you want to have and they make sure that they deliver it for you. And in the live event business, I try to understand the experience you want to create for your audience. And then we do everything we can to deliver to that. I'm like, cool. That's a great answer. But if we're selling on price, we've got a big disconnect. Fast forward, the next guy I ask, he goes, we're like an airline. I said, which one? He goes, United. And I was like, uh, okay, I don't know if I can really tell you the value of United Airlines. And then he goes, no, Southwest. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. 
United and Southwest are totally different airlines, right? Totally different experiences. And I said, why? And all he said was, well, an airline takes you where you want to go and we take you where you want to go for your event. So he clearly didn't really understand any value at all. Last guy, he goes, he's kind of a foodie and, and into like experiences. So he goes, there's a wine shop near my house where there's a sommelier that owns it. And every time I create a dinner for a friend, I go there and I ask the sommelier what type of wine would go with it. So I think I'm like that sommelier, but for events. I was like, cool, you and the Ritz-Carlton guy are pretty similar. So until that organization got clear on the value they really created, they've got this woman out there selling on discounts, right? This other guy that doesn't understand the value. And then these two guys that are selling probably pretty similarly. Sure enough, fast forward a couple of years, when the woman that sold on price left, sales manager redistributed all the accounts and all of her accounts only wanted discounts. And within a year, they were all gone. So how do you scale? How do you create messages that are really resonating with your audience if you're going to get a different story from each salesperson you have? So that's a yeah. good clue if you kind of went in and asked your sales team in the new year, hey, what's a brand like ours? And if they're not all saying something similar, take that as a moment to kind of talk through that and make sure everyone's aligned on value. Yeah, no, I love that. That's such a great example and a, a good story. And it's a it's a common tale, right? I haven't used that. I'm going to use this this approach because I really, really like that idea. You could almost even stretch it a little bit further if you get marketing in there, right? Because if they're Absolutely. messaging on the website or, you know, whatever they're doing online is the Ritz-Carlton or, you know, Walmart versus what the, the conversations folks are having, it's going to confuse and create Right. I don't want to Absolutely. say trust, maybe break the trust, but it, you're going to have to work twice as hard to overcome inconsistent messaging, right? You don't want friction in that handoff. You don't want fr friction in an integrated sales funnel. You want it to be one common experience. And as a side note, that same company, when we first did outreach to kind of generate new business, they all thought they could sell on price. They all thought they could find people coming to big hotels in your city. Imagine a big city, people coming there. And they said, okay, well, there's an in-house AV company, but they have to pay this 50% commission back to the hotel. So we can beat them every time. So tell everybody that you reach out that we can get them a great deal. So we created like social media and ads and, and outreach outbound. And it was all about like, talk to us before you book, we can beat on price. And sure enough, all these leads came in and the salespeople are coming back to me going, we can't win any of these. We can't compete on price. And so if we weren't aligned and they weren't, of what the real value is, you you see they just spent that money, no ROI. Yes, they learned something, but I would sure like to start my growth path having de-risked these fundamentals versus learning when I've spent half my budget and scratching my head yeah. going, how are we going to get to our goal? No, such a good point. And you know, to your point on creating friction, you know, my last kind of corporate role, even though it was a startup within the corporate, right? We got we were about probably at 10 million. We we brought somebody in to help us with the customer experience. Just do some you know, get some feedback from customers that went through the journey and the consistent feedback we got was, man, it felt like we were working with four or five different companies because we had maybe a BDR that had the initial conversation, you get a rep demo, and then you got somebody onboarding and then you got account management. So literally within a six week period, they felt like it was, you know, four different companies. And that that's when I vowed not to do that, the handshake <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Like, hey, here's sales, go. But, and, and I think even, Maybe that was five, six years ago. Customers were more tolerant of that. But I, to your yeah. point on experience, I don't think if they- That, that tolerance is gone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I love that story. So, all right. So let's assume that, I mean, you've got some tools we can we could look at of how to get people aligned around that messaging. And I agreed with you, you know, that 
selling on price is a race to the bottom and it's not a good way to scale because there's there's no differentiation. So let's assume everybody's kind of got the the messaging now and why we're different in the value. What's next? Where do you see the next? I mean, I know that's a huge hurdle right there, but yeah. let's assume we get over that. What's next? Well, I'll tell you, when, when you go back to the revenue construct, the first one is the company value. And I usually find the companies I work with on a 10 point scale, they usually score seven, eight, maybe even a nine. They're, they usually have this pretty dialed and they might have a couple things where they're like, you know, I don't really know our differentiators clearly, or we haven't really defined our customer promise, but we kind of know our value. We know why we got in business. Makes sense, right? right. They wouldn't be in business yep. if they didn't know what they were selling. But that's usually a tweak and a refinement and also bring people together. The next one is really around the audience. And like I said, around buyer's journey and understanding what that means. And I'll give you an example because this is where it breaks. And this is a tale that I think many companies will go, yeah, I've had a version of that. I've seen that movie. So um, I'm working with a development company, software development company. They'll come in and they'll integrate with your team. They'll give you additional development capacity. They might even staff for you. But the point is, if you're a startup and you're building software or you're a more mature SMB company or even a, like an international global company, you need developers. And we all know there's a developer shortage, technical skills shortage. It's global. So you would think, oh, these guys are killing it. And while they're doing really well, they haven't really cracked the code, or at least they didn't when we started, of a scalable lead to demand gen engine. Doing well, growing, but they wanted something that was more stable than just referrals from their current customers and, and relying on their founder, who's dynamic person who if you hear them talk, you want to work with them. They needed to crack that code. So we kind of like get our heads together. We build out our journey. We build out our, our clarity of who the audience is and how we create value. And we hire an outsourced SDR company, sales development company. There's a gazillion of them, right? And the first thing that I realized is they didn't do the work. They, they mailed it in. I gave them all this background information and they came up with kind of this, this kind of junky series of messaging and this kind of light version of who we're going to go after. And it was really broad versus tight and focused. But I was like, hey, you're the experts. You've done this. You've worked with people like us you've convinced me, I'll go on this journey with you. So sure enough, we start sending emails and using LinkedIn and all of this. You've seen this. If you even have a LinkedIn account, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Hey, Carl, you look like somebody that I should connect with. You're a great thought leader. Can we connect and share information? I hit yes. And almost before the key, my finger comes from the key, <laughs> I get another message that says, let's schedule a time because I'm going to show you how I can sell you something. And I'm just like, what the, this is messed up. You just wasted my time and I, there's no value here. And they started doing that. And in the development space, it's seen as a commodity, right? For most part, yeah. people think developers are commodity. And so they're just burning these bridges. They're getting a LinkedIn connection. And then they send kind of this, if you're not the right person, can you do me a favor and tell me who is? And they're having what I'm calling bottom of the funnel sales conversations. In the sales journey, they think, everyone that's responding is in like this consideration stage or even a buying stage and they're not. So right. it's, it's like wrong conversation at the wrong, you know, wrong time, wrong conversation, potentially even wrong person. And they're just damaging the brand and all these people that originally connected going, Oh, this could be a good fit. We're getting like remove me's. They're not, they're not following us anymore. They're defriending us on LinkedIn. And it just was a mess. And I kind of had this conversation with the outsourced partner, I was like, look, I gave you the buyer's journey and I really needed you to create content that aligned with someone that's just curious so we yep, can meet them 100%. where they are and they can start to understand how we see the world and that we're not just 
a commodity development shop that we actually think and have value and differentiators. And I just, the answers I got back were ridiculous. And so what that really translated to is we spent, I don't know, uh, $25,000, $35,000 over six months, maybe. And not only did we lose that money, but we lost that time, right? And we luckily took some learnings from that. And when we reshuffled it and we started our own version of outreach, and it's very curated in LinkedIn now, we're going after startup founders in a very small geographic area. And we're providing articles that align to the challenges startup founders have. And we're just kind of building credibility. We're not asking for anything. We're truly trying to replicate the referral as if you met this founder at a conference or a friend of a friend and it's working. So it's a reimagining that not everyone that enters your funnel wants to buy. That's kind of one of the things that I deal with all the time. I just need more leads. If I got more leads, I close 80%. You're like, you close 80% of referrals, not 80% of people that raise their (laughs) hand. So that understanding of the steps it's also in the book set up to win. But uh, I guess would just say really understanding the steps and meeting people where they are is the secret to growing and scaling in a really efficient way. Yeah, you, you probably can while the video is on so you can see me cheering you on saying yes, yes, <laughs> yes, because yes. Oh my God, yes. Right. Because we, we talk about it all the time that, you know, and again, this stack could be 10%, it could be 1%, but any given time, you know, 3% of your target buying audience is in that buy now mode. And right. if you're just the conventional wisdom is, well, I just hit them with the sales pitch and close them and tell them how awesome we are. We'll close those deals. But to your point, you're damaging the long-term funnel because they're going to tune you out and not even consider you when they are actually ready to make a thing. So, yeah, yeah, I That's- think it's such good advice and people don't talk about it nearly enough because everybody wants instant gratification. I need to close these six accounts tomorrow. It's a needle in the haystack. You may get lucky and find that right client at the right time at the right, but It's not a growth strategy I'd bet on. (laughs) Right. Well, I'll tell you a really silly story that's a fast one. When I was in my early 30s, my wife and I had started dating. You know, imagine you've been there, right? You're you're both working. You don't have any kids. All of a sudden, you feel like you're a gazillionaire because you have more disposable income than you ever thought you would. We're just kind of tooling around Boulder, Colorado, where I live. And we see this Volkswagen bug convertible, light blue, like Robin Eggs blue. And it, I don't know, it might've been $15,000. It was something like that, but it just was, it just screamed, take me for a test drive, especially if you're a woman. It was like, (laughs) this is the cutest freaking car. So I pull over and I turn to my wife and said, do you want to test drive this? Let's check it out. And honestly, we could have bought that car pretty easily at that point in our lives. And so we walk up and we're kind of laughing and we're on a date and everything's fun. And the sales guy comes out, young guy, and he goes, can I help you? And I go, I would love to take this for a test drive. And he goes, you going to buy this today? I said, I really don't know, but I want to take it for a test drive. He goes, well, I don't know why I'd let you drive it if you weren't going to buy it today. Oh, man. And it just took all the fun and energy. And we were not at a stage of buying, but we could have. We were a qualified buyer. Like who wouldn't want to sell a convertible to two individual professionals that were 30 years old that were going to buy this for entertainment and fun, right? It wasn't about price for us. It was about that fun and that experience. And the guy missed it all and just went to the bottom of the funnel. Well, are you going to buy it today? And we do that. We imagine that, you know, imagine you walk into a car lot and someone just comes up and goes, what are you going to buy today? How much is your budget? You're going to leave. So it's a thing. It's understanding where people are and that not everybody wants to buy right away is a really, really important thing that marketing and sales and leadership needs to have that awareness of. If they want to scale and do it well and be efficient with the funds that they're putting, the investments they're making in sales and marketing. 
Yeah, 100% agree with you on that one. So, all right, we're starting to run a little bit low on time, but I do sure. want to make sure if there's something else that we yeah. didn't cover that you want to you want to tie off on in this episode. Cool. Let me tell you a, kind of a combo story of team and sales process, because I do think this is something where all of us, when we've run a company or we've been an individual contributor, anything in between, if we really were honest with ourselves and said, do you have a process to move a, a new lead from the top to the bottom of the funnel? We probably would say no. And then right. if I ask the next question, do you have a, a sales tool like HubSpot or Salesforce with Pardot or some combination, even a pipe drive of a CRM type platform to mimic that, to support that? Most of us are going to be like, I wish I did. We need to. Right. And then if I asked you about your team and said, hey, if would you rehire your team tomorrow, put all your sales team in the parking lot, would you bring them back in? A lot of you are going to hesitate before you say yes. So I'm going to try to tell you a quick story that covers a couple of these things. Is five minutes about okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's All right. So I, I go into this company, online learning company. So they are all digital. They're even virtual. Virtual company before all this kind of we needed to be virtual happened. And using really sophisticated, smart digital marketing to fill the funnel. And they're being successful at it. So I go in and the first story is uh, there's a director of sales that wants to step down, young guy, and he wants to become a contributor again. So they're like, can you be this fractional director of sales? I said, I'll entertain it. Tell me more about the organization. First thing out of this young guy's mouth. Well, there's a salesperson we have and we need to fire her. She's super negative and she brings the whole team down. And instead of the 45 minute sales calls we're supposed to take, she takes an hour and a half and she's just creating this negative energy. So I think the first thing you need to do is fire her. And I said, well, I appreciate that. I'll put that in my brain, but let me kind of do my thing and kind of feel this around and understand the team and how their, where their strengths are and what they think. And we'll go from there. Okay. Okay. So another part that we started to uncover in the same company was I said, how many leads do you get? Well, we get about a thousand leads a month because we do these webinars and most webinars we have like 300 people sign up for, but we only have like 20% show up and we convert about 10% of those to appointments and we close about one in three. I was like, okay, that sounds great. But how come we don't have more people attending or, or interacting? Well, I don't know, but marketing does a good job of getting people there. So I want you to think about those two things. So fast forward over the course of a year or two. The first thing is I started to get to know the salespeople. And I asked this woman, what's going on? She goes, no one gives me any information. So I don't have confidence of when I'm selling. And I sell a very solution way and I coach, but my close rate's really good. But everybody, whenever I ask for more information, just tamps me down and says no. She goes, if I could just sell the way I'm supposed to sell instead of the way they're telling me, I, I know I could close even more. So sure enough, I created that space and started to coach with her. And there are now months, we didn't fire her. She's my number one salesperson. There are months where she sells 2X to 3X more than all the other salespeople. So imagine if we would have let her go, right? We're talking millions of dollars in revenue that she creates versus the other salespeople. And all she needed to do is be heard and sell in her way and show up in her way. So that's one of those examples of team. Well, what's interesting is the man that was the director of sales, the first year, you know, really frustrated. Why is this person that I thought we should fire out selling me? What's going on? And we started to work together. And sure enough, over the last two years, he's really committed to changing himself and looking inward about like, how does he become just a better for himself and better for the company? And just about a month ago, I decided to actually make him like the co- director of the department, take him out of doing sales. And he looked at me, he said, Carl, two years ago, there's no way I could have done this. 
there's no way I wasn't mature enough. I didn't have mindful enough. I was short with people. I didn't communicate very well. But over the last two years of working with you and seeing how you build a team, I can do this job and I can do it really well. And he can. So that's kind of this example of like unlocking the power of the team just through trust and conversation. Now, I told you about all those leads that were coming in too. So we started to look at the data and I said, why aren't we adding a sales development rep calling people before and after the webinar, reminding them that it's coming, just engaging them, being that human extension of the brand. Hi, my name is Carl. Saw you sign up for the webinar. Really appreciate your interest. If there's anything that you're looking for in the short term, in the immediate term, I can send you a book. I can send you a recording. I can kind of be your guide. Or just as a reminder, the webinar is tomorrow at 11. And then that same call afterwards. Hey, I, I wanted to call. How did you like the webinar? Are there other resources you need? Not selling, but really being like that physical extension of marketing. And I'll tell you, it was magic, magic. Like we probably increased attendance 20 to 30%. And therefore kind of that metric went all the way through. We increased sales 20 to 30%. Average sale price is close to $10,000. So if you, and the lifetime value is probably close to a hundred. So if you start to do the math, that extra little incremental lift by understanding sales process, where are we going to engage them? How do we create more value? Works magic. So a lot of times it's not that you need more leads. I would tell you most of the time you don't need more leads. You just need a better right. way of interacting with them and also empowering your people. They're the eyes and ears, right? Salespeople, eyes and ears are your organization and brain. You know, like tell me what you're seeing and, and let me help you, right? Help me help you. And a lot of really great things happen. So I love this client and they're, they're an amazing team. And in our annual review over the last two years, my sales team, what they always give back is we're such a team. We're friends now. We get along. We help each other. We support each other. We're having breakthrough moments. Who wouldn't want a sales team to say that in their annual review? Process enabled that, right? We needed to understand how to set people up. And then we also needed to make sure we're, as leaders, really unlocking them and creating trust in a team environment where they're inspired and educated and they're sharing knowledge and there's some accountability and some action. So that's kind yeah. of how we wrap it up. Like if you can focus on these fundamentals and step up your game as a leader back to kind of thinking it as a team, it's really good and you're going to win the Super Bowl and you got to figure out how to put all the right people in the right positions, then you can win. Yeah. But if you're ignoring that and looking for the silver bullet, you're probably going to see the same movie again and again and again. Yeah. Repeat, rinse and repeat. Rinse, right? repeat, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> now I, I love that. There's so many, so much value in what you just said. You, know, you talked Thank about you. the process, but it was really around the buyer's process. Right. And I do like, you know, one of the words I've been throwing around or using a little bit more with that upfront role is a concierge or a facilitator, right? You're really there to help that buyer get through the process as quickly as possible, provide the information that they need, you know, become more of that expert to help them with the process. And I think, starting to see more companies and i love that's what i like about the smaller businesses right you still have it's much easier not easier relatively speaking to make that pivot and align with your buyers and do exactly what you did with that company they obviously had the right product and if you can ex extend that math equation to say hey only of the 300 only 20 percent showing up man you could get 40 percent showing up and keep your conversion rates going to your point, it's, that's massive. And so what's, what's funny in the, the last part there, and it's not really funny, but like as an entrepreneur founder, we already do this naturally, right? We're, we're pivoting, we're, we're thinking, we're moving. So a lot of times I'm working with someone who's the, the owner salesperson and they say, if I could just clone myself. And I think what they're yeah. really saying is if I could teach my salespeople or the people that represent my brand to be able to pivot and have conversations and meet people where they are then everything would work out. 
because what I've noticed about every single entrepreneur I've ever met is they start with curiosity. You know, what's your challenge? What's going on? Tell me about your business. Oh, and, and they start to orientate where they are in this buyer's journey just naturally. That even if you grab a beer with them, you meet them at a cocktail reception, they, they do this, right? Tell me about yourself. What's your family like? Oh, how'd you get into this business? And before they know it, they've created this mental map of who Brett is and where he is and how they can help. And if they can't help, they do this. They go, you know what? There's a friend of mine that has this other company. I'd love to introduce you. And you're like, that would be great because this guy's getting to know me. But the problem is, I think when we think about typical sales, it's back to, well, you're going to buy that. You're going to buy this cheap yeah. convertible today for your girlfriend. <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. Well, then I don't know why I would talk to you anymore. It's that breakthrough moment of getting people to think more holistically and connected. And that's why I'm such a believer in these foundations. Like if it's, if we can start to understand our landscape, then we know how to be in it. But if we don't understand our landscape, salespeople don't like uncertainty, right? And buyers don't like risk. And so now you're creating this kind of two-sided risk equation and we need to mitigate that. And I think that's as people in the SMB that's the big aha. We need to understand the two-sided of this and, and really meet people where they are, um, whether it's your internal team members or the leads and customers that are external. Yeah, so good. And I love your, your quote you made, start with curiosity. There you That's go. 100%, man. It, it sounds simple, but it can be powerful if, if you do it. So, well, Carl, so much value. And again, shame on me for not having you on the podcast. No, this was a make you more of a regular. No, you're coming back. I'm going to make okay. sure you come back because- You want me to wear an Easter bunny costume and I'll come back in three months. <laughs> Maybe that's what we'll do. We'll have you holiday specific. There you go. Come in and we'll get to see what you got. But um, yeah, again, for the audience, highly encourage you. Check out the book. Carl's got a ton of great content on the website and we'll link to all of this, but what's the best place if people want to connect with you? Where's, how, what's the best way for them? Yeah, to hopefully this is what you can remember, improving sales performance. If you go, how do I improve sales performance? You literally type in the URL, improvingsalesperformance.com and you're going to find my site. You're going to find resources, building peer groups, which I'm calling like group training, where if you want to put an individual contributor in a group of other B2B individual contributors, or a sales manager or sales leader with another group, or even your sales and marketing, I've got those programs. I also have resources like this book. I have another book coming out that's sales and marketing alignment. So if you're looking for resources, you kind of like what I have to say. Uh, that site has a lot of tools. Many of them, all you have to do is download. I, I'm really a believer in giving information out. I love to share. I love to talk about the adventures and learnings I've had. So ImprovingSalesPerformance.com would be a good place to go if you like kind of like the vibe here that I'm putting out. hundred percent. And I do highly recommend the book. It is actionable, right? It's not just talking the theory. There's a ton of the stories and examples. And depending on where you are in your journey, you've built it or you wrote the book in sections so you could actually fast forward to the one that's, that's most. I'd encourage you to start from the beginning because I think there's probably some things that you forgot about. But yeah, no, I appreciate it. I really enjoy these types of books because... It's helpful. I like the other type, but man, there's right. I don't get stickies with, with other types. <laughs> well, so. I appreciate that. That means a lot. To me. Thank you. <laughs> appreciate it. So Carl, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. We'll get you back on here before too long. And you know, here's to a great 2022. Awesome. Thank you for having me. It's always fun to talk with you. Good luck, everybody. Right, Have a great new year. 